name is Pastor Darren. I get a chance to be with you guys once a month here, and I love being a part of this church. And I've got a confession to make this morning, and just prepare yourself. It's a twofold confession. Uh, some of you may respect me less after this confession. Some of you may respect me more. It's crapshoot. Hard to say. Let's just get it out in the open. I love NASCAR. All right, I just want to say it. I'm just going to say it like it's, it's now it's out. It's here. We got to deal with it right there. I love NASCAR. It's what it is. I love NASCAR. I don't care what it says about me because I love it. Daytona 500 just around the corner. Can't wait. That's step one of the confession. Step two of the confession is this. I'm 42 years old and I still play video games. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I'm not even ashamed of that either, okay? And when I put my two great passions, video games and NASCAR together, I have so much fun in my basement playing NASCAR Heat 4. It's the best NASCAR video game that's been out in many, many years. It's phenomenal. If you're looking for a new racing game, check it out. If you're wondering right now, is it possible that I also have a steering wheel in which I use to drive my car in my basement? The answer is absolutely yes, okay? I've got the whole setup. Basically, I am a real race car driver in my basement, and I'm good, okay? But here's the problem. <laughs> Is, is the new, the new career uh, mode in the new NASCAR game phenomenal? You start racing dirt, right? You're a dirt track racer. You get in. You kind of get a crappy car. You got to work on it. But here's what I did. I kept getting better and better and better on dirt. I got a couple wins under my belt. I was feeling pretty good about it. Then I'm going for the championship. I want to be a championship driver. Who doesn't want to be a championship driver? So I get to the championship race in the dirt series, and I'm looking good. It's me battling back and forth with another guy, trying to clean race, right? And, I, and I'm coming into turn four towards the checkers. All I got to do is win, and I'll be a champion. But I get all nervous. I get sweaty palms. I get, ah, hey, ha, hey. I overdrive, and I spin out, and I put my car into the turn four wall. I get passed. I lose the championship by two points. I then took my steering wheel, and I threw it out of the window of my car. I have a house. Threw it out the house, and it's... I didn't, I didn't throw it. I thought about it, but I stopped myself, okay? I lost the championship by two points. I thought, you know what? I'll learn from this. All this spinning out, it's for the birds. It's for amateurs. Not me. I'm a professional race car driver virtually in my basement with the steering wheel. So then I made it to the truck series. They obviously saw my abilities in the dirt series. Now I'm a truck series racer. I went on that series that set season to win five races. I was the winningest most driver of the season that season. So I'm getting a lot of sponsorship money. Things are coming in. I'm feeling very good about myself. I get in, obviously, to the championship race. I'm in, in first place getting ready to be a truck series champion. Now, I start the race, and what I forget to realize is that if I'm in first place and I need to stay in first place, it's very important to know who can't pass me, right? Who can't beat me? Because I don't have to win, but there's a dude that can't beat me because if he beats me, I lose. I fail to gather that information, and so I'm coming into the last few laps of the race, and I'm driving through the rearview mirror. Which guy is it? Is it that guy? Is it the red truck, yellow truck? I don't know what truck it is. All I know is that somebody can't pass me. So I'm coming into turn four once again on the last lap looking in the rearview mirror. Is it that guy? I don't know. Don't set up right for turn four. Guess what I do? I spin out and I put it in the turn four wall, right? And it was a dude in a yellow truck that hadn't, he passed me, boom, he gets the champagne and the big fireworks. What do I get? Third place, third place. Winningest most driver of the season came in third place. Say, Darren, for one, you're weird. It's no problem. I can accept that. You may be thinking, I came to hear about Jesus, not your stupid, fake, virtual racing career you have in your basement. I understand that as well. But here's what got me thinking. How mad I get when I keep spinning out to lose races. And then I was thinking, spin. Let God flip your story. And I started thinking about us as a community. And if you're brand new this morning, we don't always talk about NASCAR video games, but you're welcome. You're getting it this morning. 
We're glad you're here. We created this church for people just like you. We believe that nobody is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. But percentage-wise, I would say probably the majority, the majority of us, at some point prior in life, we have had God spin our life. Statistically, the majority of us sitting here in the room are followers of Jesus. So we don't need necessarily a sermon about spin your life towards God, let God flip your story for the first time. Our issue is that we've been doing kind of good. We've gotten a couple wins under our belt. We're really liking the thought that maybe we could win a championship in life. But if you're like me, the problem is you just keep spinning your life out and wrecking in turn four. Now, our wrecks and our spins look differently. Usually, they're the messes we make in the relationships closest to us. There's habits, there's attitudes, there's addictions, there's things that are happening in our life. And and we really want to win for Jesus. We want to keep following him, but we just keep spinning out and spinning out and spinning out. And so you don't have to like NASCAR or get into video games this morning for the sermon to work for you. But I am gonna need you to lean in a little bit as we look at the thought of what do we do when we keep making the same messes over and over again? We keep spinning out. Is there hope for us or are we just going to wreck a lot in our life and that's what people are just gonna have to deal with? I think there's more hope this morning. We dive in. Jesus, I thank you so much for who you are. Heavenly Father, we just, um, we thank you that you've provided for a morning light today, that the word of God can instruct us, that the Holy Spirit can, can minister and, and heal and apply this truth to our life. So I pray that that would happen. I pray this morning that you would hide me behind your cross today and you would allow your word to do what only it can do in our hearts and our minds and our soul and our strength today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Huh. That punk actually did a good job. Well, now, where the heck is he? Sheriff, is he making another run for it? No, no. He ran out of asphalt in the middle of the night and asked me if he could come down here. All he's trying to do is make that their turn. No, no, no. Sheriff, why don't you go get yourself a quart of oil that flows? I'll keep an eye on him. Well, thanks, Doc. I've been feeling a quart low. This ain't asphalt, son. This is dirt. Oh, great. What do you want? You here to glow? You don't have three-wheel brakes, so you got to pitch it hard, break it loose, and, and just drive it with a throttle. Give it too much, you'll be out of the dirt and into the tulips. So you're a judge, a doctor, and a racing expert. I'll put it simple. If you're going hard enough left, you'll find yourself turning right. Oh, right. That makes perfect sense. Turn right to go left. Yes! Thank you! Or should I say no thank you? Because in opposite world, maybe that really means thank you! 
grandpa car. What an idiot. <laughs> Turn right to go left. Your, your spiritual life animated right there. <laughs> See, when we start to spend in life, the, the, the realities of the kingdom of God are counterintuitive, much like Lightning McQueen learned there. And basically what Doc Hudson's teaching is that when you, when you begin to spin in a corner, the way you correct the, the, the problem is you actually turn into the spin. If you turn with the spin, right, you're just going to keep spinning. You're for sure going to be in the wall. But you have to turn into the spin to actually begin to correct the car and fight the forces that are trying to take you off the track. <clears throat> and here's what I found in my own life, and I hope to let you know today, is if you keep spinning out in life, it might be because you're not turning into the spin. And what I mean by that is you're spinning out, you're wrecking your life, you're making a mess of things, and instead of you actually turning into the problem and moving closer to it and figuring out what is actually going on this, you turn away and you run from it. Why do we do that? A couple of reasons. For one, fear. We're afraid of what this mess says about us. We're afraid of what others will think of us. We're afraid of the consequences if people know about this mess. And that fear usually leads to a thing we call, we call shame. Fear leads to shame. Brene Brown says shame is the fear of disconnection. So you make a mess in your life and fear then moves into shame where now if people know or if I deal with this, I'm going to be rejected and disconnected from which one of the core essence, like primal needs for a human being is to belong and to be connected. So when the fear becomes shame, we turn away from the mess and we run away from it. Oftentimes on our way away from it, we look for other people to blame for the mess. Well, it was that problem, that problem, that person, this person. I couldn't do anything about it. I know I did the same thing I do that makes problems in my life, but it's your fault, and it's his fault, and it's their fault. <clears throat> and if you want to, no one will probably stop you from that pattern of life until you die. You're just going to have a lot of wrecks. Jesus will love you the same but you will experience a lot of unnecessary pain and miss a lot of the joy that Jesus has actually provided for your life. See, the process for us to actually begin the process of turning into the spin, the step one, we, gotta, we actually have to confess that we did it. One thing I appreciate about post-race uh, uh, interviews in NASCAR a lot of times is some of the best racers in the world, they spin out and they come and say, hey, what happened? And they go, uh, you know what? I just lost it. I drove in too hard, and, and I, I spun the car out. Like, they don't come in and be like, well, it was hot, and then number 24 was in the way, and then my stupid crew chief set up the car wrong, and this is the thing, and I didn't eat steak this morning, and I, I don't know what it is, right? They don't make excuses. They just own it. And if you don't own your messes, you can't grow from them. If you don't own it, you can't grow from it. You got to own it, and you got to confess, I did this. This was my fault. That usually looks like a confession or an apology, and that is step one, and we talked about a couple weeks ago that that is necessary. 
So if you haven't gotten to step one, I want to encourage you, if you have messes you're making in your life, step one is to confess them. Now, often what we like to do is like we'd like step one to become step all. If I make a mistake, I'm going to apologize, I'm going to confess that I did it, and then I'm going to get away from the mess as quickly as I can because I have fear and shame and blame and all the things. And here's what I am discovering in my life is that confession, confession covers what happened. But confession does not uncover why it happened. Let me say it again. Your confession covers what you did. It does not uncover why you did it. Confession is necessary, but it is step one. If you're on step one, I encourage you to take it. If you've already done that and you wanted to figure out why do I keep spinning out in life, it's because you're not taking time to figure out why you're spinning out. And that's the process of getting curious. You see, the interesting thing about the word of God is that you realize that Jesus doesn't ask us for apologies? Isn't that weird? The word of God doesn't say, hey, say you're sorry. And mean it. You ever given your kids one of those? You're going to go upstairs and tell your brother you're sorry, and you better act like you mean it, right? Well, what are we even doing, right? And then our kid goes up, I'm sorry, I punched you in the face. Good, all right. Now uh, we're, we're good, right? Next time you're not going to punch him in the face because I coerced a guilt-ridden apology out of you. We're taking care of it right now. We know, right? We'll visit your kid in juvie later, all right? It's, I'm, I'm kidding. These are jokes. These are jokes. That was too far. I, it was too far. I want to take it back. They're not going to go to juvie. You're gonna, it's going to be great. Listen. God doesn't ask for apologies. What God calls us to is repentance. Totally different than an apology. See, repentance is, is about actually changing your mind. It's about turning into the spin. It's about turning and going the other direction and beginning to agree with God. And that process happens as you go from step one confession to step two, which is curiosity. It's about repentance. Here's what the word of God says about repentance. This is really good. It says in Acts chapter three, and now you must repent and turn back to God, right? Turn into your spin, Repent, change the way you think, and turn back to God so that your sins will be removed and so that times of refreshing will stream from the Lord's presence. That's what we need, streams of refreshing and joy and all the positive things moving through our life. And here's the great thing. I want you to change your mind about repentance. So often we see repentance as a one-time experience. Repentance is not a one-time experience. Repentance is a lifetime experience. It never ends. It's the moments when you realize you've made a mess of your life again and you agree with God that his ways and his word and his life is better than what you've done and you turn into and you get curious about what has happened. Jesus says in Mark chapter one, he says this, at last the fulfillment of the age has come and it's time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. That's the promise for us. That's what's possible. So he says, turn your lives back to God, right? Turn into your spins and put your trust in the hope-filled gospel. To repent, we've got to begin to turn into these spins in our life. To embrace humility, to get curious. The next step after you get curious is you've got to get self-compassionate. This is very, very difficult. When you begin to get curious, you're going to begin to uncover pain and struggle and negative, broken patterns of thought, 
of feeling and of relating inside of you. When you uncover that, what it needs to be met with is the self-compassion this compassion that Jesus would bring you. You've got to offer it to yourself. It's one of the most difficult things that we learn to do. I've said it a hundred times. I'll keep saying it a hundred times. You know who the most, who the meanest person on earth to you is? You. You speak to yourself meaner and in a more of a hateful put down type of way than anyone else in the world does. Specifically when you're looking at the mess you've created. The good news is if we can learn to see how God deals with us in these moments, we can begin to offer ourselves the grace and compassion he does. Listen how good the word of God here is in James chapter 4. But he, speaking of Jesus, continues to pour out more and more grace upon us. For it says, God resists you when you are proud, but continually pours out grace when you are humble. It takes a lot of humility to say, I confess, I did this, I'm turning into the mess, and I'm going to get curious and actually compassionate about what happened here. When we make those moments, we're going to experience more and more of God's grace, not less. He says this, so then surrender to God, stand up to the devil and resist him, and he will turn away from you. That's good news. It gets even better. Move your heart closer and closer to God, and he will come even closer and closer to you. Ooh, that's a promise, friends. To build our life in Christ, we have to find promises in the word of God and begin to thank them, begin to believe them, begin to feel them. And this is one of them, that when you move closer and closer to God, when you run back to the Father and run back to the Father again and again and again, he runs closer to you, not further away. And some of us have really bad theology about God that he can't look on our sin and he rejects us in these moments. And so when we make a mess of our life and we want to try to come back to God, we think he's over here mad and ready to punish and just trying to get away from, ooh, oh, eh, uh, eh, right? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible tells us that when we turn into our spin, when we humble ourselves, when we come back to him, he comes close to us. Then it goes on and it just gets worse. But make sure you cleanse your life, you sinners, and keep your heart pure and stop doubting. Listen to verse 9. Oh, I hate this. Feel the pain of your sin and be sorrowful and weep. Oh, boy. Confession 3. I'm an Enneagram 7. If you're into the Enneagram, it means I don't do negative. I don't do painful. I don't do not fun. Okay? Uh, sometimes... Uh, Maybe it's you, maybe it's other people. Let's just say it's other people that we, none of us know that post sad things on Facebook. My wife will read your sad thing and feel sad for you, probably pray for you, and then she'll come to me and be like, oh my gosh, look at this sad thing happening in so-and-so's life. I'm just gonna tell you, I don't read it because I don't wanna be sad, right? Sometimes you guys post stuff that's sad in your life and I start reading it and I start feeling sad and I'm like, no, nah. <laughs> no thanks, right? I'm not saying it's healthy. I'm just confessing. That's what I do, okay? Fellow Enneagram 7s, you're like, hey, man, yeah, why would you want to be sad? Something fun's happening. Let's go play NASCAR in the basement. All right, so, so this is really hard for me and maybe for you too, to feel the pain of your sin, to be sorrowful and weep. 
Now, see, this is what we call godly sorrow, which the word of God is, is, is good. It says this in, in 2 Corinthians 7.10. Godly sorrow, feeling the pain of our sin, not the shame, not the blame, not the fear, not the condemnation. No, just the pain. You know when someone comes to you that you love and you care about and they show you how you have hurt them and it breaks your heart and you don't think, I am terrible, I am broken, I'm the worst. It's not about you and telling everybody how, but no, no. It's you just feeling the pain of your sin. It's godly sorrow that it says it leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, which leaves no regret. You get self-compassionate, and then you got to get closer. You got to keep moving closer and closer and closer to the heart of God. Okay, I just taught you in about ten minutes what I'm going to be trying to do for the next twelve months. What I'm beginning to realize is actually I think I'm going to be doing it for the next until I die. I hope you took notes. Not that what I just taught was really really amazing the way I taught it, but just the fact that. This is probably a big part of your problem. Is that you're causing messes regularly, and you might say sorry, and then you run away from them because you think that you're going to be rejected by God, by others. You don't want to deal with the pain, and so you medicate, and you run, and you do it again. What God is inviting you into is, no, 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 no. Run to me in that moment. Turn into the spin and let's get curious. Let's get self-compassionate. Then let's get closer because what I want to show you is how my love can begin to change and heal and transform and set you free so that you don't have to stop. You can stop actually apologizing for what you did because the grace and the power of God has actually uncovered why you did it. You allowed Jesus to heal that broken place in your life and now you've repented and you think differently about those situations and you're beginning to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which the word of God says. Second thing you got to do is this. You got to pay attention to the condition of your tires, okay? On in my race, there's a cool thing where it shows me how much a percentage of tire life I have left. Now, it's very important to understand how tires work is they hold you to the track. Once you get, you know, you, you, the, the, the rubber on the tire gets too hot and it gets worn out, I don't care how good of a driver you are, you're going to put it in the wall, okay? Especially if you're trying to take the corners at 185 miles an hour. Now, I got to pay attention to that. I usually don't. That's why I wreck all the time. You have to pay attention to the condition of your tires. And by that, I mean your health and your strength. Some of us are running ourselves ragged in life. We don't exercise. We don't eat right. We don't sleep right. We don't take care of ourselves. And when you are tired and you're hungry and your life is feeding off things that don't give you strength and energy and you don't take care of yourself physically, it affects you spiritually. It just does. That's why Jesus says to love him, right? To love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are not compartmentalized. You are not going to be unbelievably, vitally healthy and amazing spiritual giant in your life if you're physically tired and broken and weak and sick. It doesn't go together. Go to sleep. Put your phone away. Try to get eight hours of sleep. Walk. Exercise. Eat an apple, okay? I don't know what you need to do, but if your tires are tired and worn out, 
you are going to keep spinning out again and again and again. Because this is not an easy journey. Let's dig into the word of God and figure out actually what's happening in our life. The reason I spin out is basic inertia in physics in NASCAR, okay? What happens is the inertia of the car going straight is too much for the car to actually turn on the worn out tires and you actually just spin. It's a connection of centripetal and centrifugal force, which I had to look up this week. It's too big of a word for me to use. Let's move on. It's not physics, but that's what happens. And it will happen every single time because those are the obvious results of what's happening or the forces that are at work on a race car. Here are the forces that are at work in your life. And if you don't know this, maybe you're new to Jesus and you just think, I go to church and I try to be good and it's me just trying to figure it out. It's not. There is a force at work against you. You have your flesh or, or, or your sinful nature that is alive in you, but also the spirit of God in you. And this is what the Bible says. Here's how it breaks this down. Uh, we're in Galatians chapter five, okay? It says, as you, yield, as you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life of the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of the self-life. Your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him, and hinder him from living free within you. Okay, there's a conflict inside of you. That's why you keep spinning out. It goes on, it says, but the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self-life from dominating you. That's good news. So then the two incompatible and conflicting forces within you are your self-life of the flesh and the new creation life of the spirit. If you haven't known this, this is a new education for you. There is spirit and there are flesh. They are within you and they are conflicting. But here's the good news. The way the spirit and the way the flesh work are obvious. It's not a mystery. Let's educate ourselves. It says this, the cravings of the self-life are obvious. As I read through these, you're going to go, that's ah, pretty obvious. And check this out. If you'll start turning into your spins and looking at the problems and looking about what's going on around you and in you and through you in those moments, it's really obvious what's going on in your life. We just don't like to look at it. He says the cravings of the self-life are obvious. Sexual immorality, lustful thoughts, pornography. If you got any of that in your life, not from the spirit, from the flesh. If you feed that force, you will spin out. It goes on. Chasing after things instead of God. Manipulating others. Put in trying to control others. Put in your spouse's name, your kid's name, your worker's names, life in general. Not, that's not of the spirit. Manipulating others. Hatred of those who get in your way. On 465. <laughs> Probably deeper than that. Senseless arguments. Resentment of others. Resentment when others are favored. Temper tantrums. Angry quarrels. Uh, only thinking of yourself. Being in love with your own opinions. Hashtag Facebook. Being envious of others' blessings. Murder, uncontrolled addictions, wild parties, and all other similar behavior. Haven't I already warned you, for you, you, already warned you that those who use their freedom for these things will not inherit the kingdom realm of God? Here's the deal. Those things are obvious. And if you're feeding that force in your life, you're going to keep spinning out. It's, not, it's just physics. It's spiritual physics. There is spiritual inertia or selfish inertia in your life. And if you're not feeding the spirit in your life, you will spin out a time and time and time again. And you'll be like, why does this keep happening? It's obvious. Because you're not feeding the force of God's spirit within you. 
Because here's the cool thing. The fruit that the Holy Spirit produces is divine love with all of its various expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Never set the law above these qualities, for they are meant to be limitless. Oh, that's good news. So how do you feed your spirit life? Thank you for asking. It's obvious, and it's really pretty simple, okay? Here's one of the things you do. You get the word of God in you. I don't care how you do it. You read it, you listen to it, you watch it. Whatever you need to do, you put the word of God within you so the Holy Spirit within you can access the truth about God in you and guide you in your life. You get the word of God and you spend time in God's presence. How do you do that? Well, you can listen to worship when you run, when you work out, when you drive your car. You can get in the presence of God. You can come to church regularly. Why? Because you need to be in the presence of God. What else could you do? You could pray, you could journal, you could fast, you could serve, you could choose some spiritual disciplines that you need to read about. You could read books about following Jesus and how to do it more often. You could surround yourself with people that are also following Jesus. You could sign up for Rooted. You could join an outpost. You could take spiritual DNA. Like the list is on and on and on and on. But if you are not feeding the force of God's spirit in your life at a greater pace and a greater strength than you are the spirit and the force of your flesh, you will spin out in life. It's just spiritual physics. All right, here we go. Last thought. You gotta take care of your tires. You gotta turn in the spin. And you can't race through the rearview mirror. You can't drive through the rearview mirror of life. My story, right? Here I am looking. Is that the red? Is that the yellow car? Red one? Which one is it? What's going to happen? Boom, I'm in the wall. So often we drive our life through the rearview mirror. Maybe it's the positive. You look back and you think, I am going to follow Jesus. But man, I look back there. Nothing was like college, man. When I had time by myself and I was in the Word, and I was that Bible study, and I'm never going to be like I was back then. Man, I just. Back when I had that big job in the office and it had that, that's when I was really happy. And I don't have that now, so there's no way I could be. Man, back in my, it was my first marriage when all that stuff was happening, before that stuff happened, and that, that was when I was really, and there's no way I can be. Sometimes it's looking back at, at maybe some of the wins. Usually for most of us, it's looking back at all of the messes we've made. You can't win driving your life through the rearview mirror. Hope is found in the future, and that is where God is guiding and directing and calling you. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is in Philippians chapter 3. And this passage of Scripture, when, when Paul wrote this, I don't think Paul was like writing it like a, it's like a Sunday afternoon chill, like, I got, what's some other things I could write? Mm, that's, that's pretty encouraging, right? I think Paul wrote this passage here in Philippians chapter 3 when he was dealing with spinning out in his own life. Because we have other passages in the Bible where Paul's like, man, I want to do this, but I keep doing this. Like I'm in conflict. It's like I won't do what I want to do. I can't, I he was talking about the struggle right through Romans. And I think maybe he's in one of those big struggle type moments and he's just fed up with himself and trying to figure out what do I do as I keep spinning in the turn for a wall of life. And he gets to chapter chapter 3, verse 12, and he says this, I admit I haven't yet acquired the absolute fullness that I'm pursuing. Anybody else feel that? I've been at this for four decades, and I still have not acquired the absolute fullness for that which I'm pursuing. He doesn't give up. He says, but I run with passion 
into his abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus called me to fulfill and wants me to discover. I run back to the Father with passion into his abundance. I don't run away from it. I don't turn away from the skid. I don't hide. I don't let shame bring me down. I don't blame others. I turn into it and I run back into the presence of God. He says, I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. One compelling focus. I forget all of the past and I fasten my heart to the future instead. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. I run straight to the divine invitation. This is my passion for the next year of my life. I said, God, I need a word for 2020. He said, your word is worthy. I said, I'd like another word, please. What God is showing me is the pattern I'm teaching you today. And I haven't figured it all out. What I figured out is that I've spent too long in my life confessing what I've done wrong and not spent enough time sitting in the pain, forgetting the past, running into the presence of God and saying, God, I need to get curious. I need to get self-compassion. I need to get closer. I need you to show me why these things are happening. I need the healing of God. So I'm driving to work on Wednesday. This song comes on the radio and uh, I purpose myself to not cry. It's kind of a goal. Not healthy, just being honest. And I'm listening to the song we're about to sing, and it's over. Waterworks. About wrecked my car. I play the song again. More waterworks. And I'm trying to sing, and I can't. And I call the team. I'm like, can we end, can we end this week with this song? Because this song is the essence of what I want us to feel and know. Is that whatever message you're making into your life, you've got to turn into this spin and run back into the presence of God. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Because when you do, you will find what your heart needs. You will find what your soul needs. And as you move closer, so will he. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, as we take these moments to end in singing and in your presence, God, I ask that you would meet with us. I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to do work, that you would begin calling us to yourself. Pray that you would give us the humility and the courage to get curious, to get self-compassionate, and to get closer to you. To run to you again and again and again. In Jesus' name.